Good afternoon. It is truly a blessing to be here today. Uh, it's a joy to be able to spend time with brethren and worship to our Lord and now to study together from his word. Uh, I'm very excited about our community Sunday efforts, uh, not only this month, but, but next month and, and the month to follow as we continue to try to reach out in the community. I appreciate everyone who's uh, worked at that and, and spreading flyers and um, talking to your friends and neighbors. Uh, we don't want to stop doing that. We want to continue to do that because uh, we believe that part of the work that God has entrusted for us to do is, is to reach out to the world around us, to share uh, the seed of his word, to share the gospel with others. Um, and to try to make a difference for good and, and the community around us. And it's not that we have any goodness or power within ourselves to accomplish that work, um, but we believe in the transforming and the renewing power of God's Word. Uh, and that's where we want the focus to be. That's the, the seed that we want to sow. Uh, there's no power, no wisdom, no salvation, and, and the, the words of Grady Huggins are, are in the East Side Church of Christ. <laughs> The power is with God, Almighty God, and the power of His Word. And so as we study today, I, I invite you to open up your Bibles, to look into it as into a mirror. Uh, it is the, the sword of the Spirit that is able to, to penetrate our hearts, the light of truth that is able to show us the way. And that's where we want the focus to be. Today, in response to uh, those who, who did fill out our, our survey, we are going to address the topic, why are Christians so divided? And I think most would agree that the, the factions or, or schisms or, or divisiveness that we see uh, among some believers today is a far cry from what Jesus desires of his people. And even some of what we may define as unity may not meet the standards expressed by Jesus within the New Testament. Estimates for the number of Christian denominations worldwide range in the tens of thousands. And in the United States alone, there are at least 300 officially recognized Christian denominations uh, that don't include uh, cults or other deviant groups. Uh, that may not be officially recognized. Even in the city of Pittsburgh, we, we could drive from one side of the city to the other and see many different groups across the city uh, that believe and, and teach and, and practice different things. But this is not a new problem. Uh, this is a problem that is old as the church itself. In 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1 and verse 12 and 13, we see that there were those who said, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. And Paul urges them that, that Christ has not been divided. And so we today want to look at what the Bible has to say about that division. Because as the Bible talks about the problem of division, it also gives us the solution of unity. And it gives us the, the principles and the attitudes that we need to achieve the unity that Jesus desires of us. Uh, and ultimately, uh, to diagnose how we have strayed from that pattern of unity, the best thing that we can do is go back to the pattern itself. Uh, is to look what Jesus says about how we can have unity as his people. And to do that, I want to focus primarily here in Ephesians chapter 4, the passage that was read just a moment ago. The book of Ephesians is an amazing 
book, we, we see throughout the book of the first three chapters, talk to about us about the hope of our calling, about the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus, God's abundant grace towards us, and, and the riches of his inheritance, the hope that we have. But as he gets to the halfway point in the book in chapter 4, he then transitions to talking about our response to that calling and to that gospel. Here, as we read just a moment ago in verse 1, he says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which with you have been called. And he goes on throughout these chapters to talk about walking in love, to talk about walking in wisdom and walking in light. But he starts the list here by walking in unity. If we're going to respond properly to the gospel, first and foremost, we need to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace there in verse 3. And so the real question that we want to address is, is how can we achieve that unity? And in answering that question, we will both diagnose the problem of division as well as determine the cure for that divisiveness. And I think in this verse, uh, chapter 4 and verse 3, we, we see really two aspects of the fellowship that God wants us to have. Uh, preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Unity and peace. Unity being the, the principle behind this fellowship. Peace being the attitudes necessary to maintain that unity. So we're going to talk about the principle and the attitude, living in Christ and living like Christ as we deal with one another. Uh, because where we see division among Christians today, either the principle of unity is lacking or the attitudes of peace are lacking. So let's first consider this idea of the unity of the Spirit. Notice there in verse 3, he says, being diligent to preserve or maintain the unity of the Spirit. Here, unity is not something that we have to manufacture. It's not something that we have to produce. It's simply something that Jesus, uh, that God tells us to maintain. It's already there. It is inherent in the fact that there is one spirit. It's inherent uh, in the unity of the teaching of Christ itself. And so as he goes on in verse 4 through 6, he defines the inherent unity that should be among God's people. In verse 4, he says, there is one body. Earlier in the book, chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, he talked about how God had put all things under Christ's feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ only has one body. One church, Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus says, On this rock I will build my church. When Jesus was here on earth, how many churches did he build? Did he build a church in Rome and a church in Constantinople and go down to Alexandria, Egypt and over Jerusalem and, and build different churches? No, he's not talking about physical church buildings. He's not talking about uh, local groups or, or denominations with different heads. He's talking about the one church of which he is head. As God designed it, there is one body. That's headquarters is not here on earth, but in heaven where Jesus reigns. And along with that one body, he says there is one spirit. Think about this idea of body and spirit. You know, does your body have a hard time getting along with itself? 
Does your hand and your elbow get, get in disagreements a lot and kind of just have a hard time getting along? Well, no. Why not? Because you have one spirit that is ruling your body, right? One mind that is directing all of those members of your body to work together in, in unity. What, what do you call it if you have multiple spirits dwelling in one body? Well, the Bible would call that demon possession. And it didn't usually work out too well, did it? Now, when, when somebody had multiple spirits, many times they, they were harming themselves or harming other people around them. Part of the reason that we see division uh, at times is because we are being ruled by more than one spirit. Because the elbow and, and the hand each have their own say and, and a mind of their own and want to do their own thing. But here, as God designed it, there is one body directed by one spirit. In John 16, verse 13, Jesus said that he would send the spirit of truth. And when the spirit of truth comes, he would guide his disciples into all truth. Brethren, the spirit doesn't lie. The spirit doesn't say one thing to one person and one thing to another person. And if you have two people who claim to be led by the spirit... And yet, they are in disagreement about the will of God. Um, then one is, is lying, or, or worse, one is deceived. The Spirit does not disagree with itself. The Spirit does not lie. The Spirit will guide us in the truth. How do we know whether or not we are following the Spirit? John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Here in the book of Ephesians, later on in chapter 6, talking about the armor of God, it says the sword of the Spirit is what we need to wield, which is the Word of God. We can know whether or not we are following this one Spirit by going back to His revelation within the Scriptures, letting Him be the voice that is directing us. And as we go on here, he says there is one hope. We are all aiming in the same direction, pressing towards the same goal. Uh, have you ever seen uh, competitions of sculling boats or, or rowboats where they have four or eight people working together in unison as they, they row that boat? And they, they can fly across the water going 14, 15 miles an hour. Why is it that they can go so quickly? Well, all of those men, all, all of those athletes are rowing in the same direction. Rowing in unison, intent on the same goal. Now, what, what if one of those individuals decided that he, he wanted to go over here instead? Well, that, that boat is not going to go very quickly, is it? No, but it's the fact that they are all intent on one goal, aiming in one direction that allows them to work in unison in that way. Philippians 2 and verse 2, as Paul describes the type of unity that he desires, for the Philippian brethren, he says, Be of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. For all aiming in the same direction, thinking in the same direction, focused on the same hope. It's going to help us achieve that unity that God is describing here. And he says there's also one Lord, one authority to which we submit. Pledging our loyalty to one king, taking orders from one and the same head. You know, our, our nation today, the United States, uh, is certainly not a picture of, of unity. 
in our society right now, there, there are many differing uh, opinions and many differing voices. And I am thankful for the democracy that we live in. But brethren, democracy is not the best path towards unity. Democracy allows us to have freedom to express ourselves, freedom to pursue our dreams, uh, but it certainly has not been a pathway of unity, has it? When it comes to the kingdom of God, the, the church is not a democracy. God's kingdom is not a democracy. And when we try to make it that and we each want to have our own voice, uh, then we're going to be divided. But if we submit to one Lord, to one king, investing all authority, which is rightfully his, in Jesus himself, we can find unity. Matthew 28, 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, Jesus said. That, that doesn't leave any room for me, does it? Any teaching or idea that starts with the words, I believe, or I feel, or I think, needs to be set aside. We need to go back to what God says, to what God feels, to what God thinks. And he says we are also united in one faith, one body of doctrine and teaching which we believe and adhere to. Men have made many creeds, many statements of faith throughout the centuries. And yet, followers of Christ, uh, for us, there should be one faith, one creed, the inspired revelation of God himself. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11 tells us, whoever speaks, let him speak as the oracles or utterances of God. The scripture does not need our help. If, if it needed to be added to, to be further clarified, if God desired for it to be clarified in that way, certainly that would be within his power. And yet our job is simply to speak where the Bible speaks. And we see there is also one baptism, one new birth that puts us into the family of God, uh, one common means of entrance into the kingdom, into the body of Christ. In John 3 and verse 5, Jesus says, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Paul, in emphasizing our unity together in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, says, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body. We have all entered into the body, into the kingdom in the same way. We may come from very different backgrounds. We may have different conversion experiences, many different witnesses, and yet... For those who are in the body of Christ, we have all experienced salvation in the same way. We have all come from a background of sin, of being displeasing to God, of being separated from Him. We have all needed to have our sins washed away. We have all needed to be born again, to start a new life, to bury our old man of sin. And in that way, we all come from the same place, in need of God's grace. He says there is one Father, one spiritual family. No matter what earthly culture or, or heritage or nationality we may come from, we are all brothers and sisters in the family of Christ. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 50, Jesus, when his brothers and, and mother come seeking him, he says, Whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, 
He is my brother and my sister and my mother. Jesus put a greater emphasis upon the spiritual bond that we share than the physical bonds of, of earthly families. And so we see that unity is not something that, that we are to produce, that, that we are to manufacture on our own, but it is something that is inherent in the unity of the teaching of Christ and the fact that there is one body directed by one spirit, aiming towards one hope, submitting to one Lord, adhering to one faith, all having experienced the one baptism, becoming children to one Father. Our role is to preserve and maintain that unity which is already inherent in the teaching of God's word. And certainly, uh, this is the, the principle. We're going to have to talk much more about the attitude that is necessary to achieve that. Um, but as we consider this principle, I want us to consider Jesus' definition of unity in John 17. If you'll turn there with me for a moment. John 17, starting in verse 20. Here Jesus, on the night that he is betrayed, um, prays the longest prayer that we see of him throughout the Gospels. And we see at the close of his prayer in verse 21, uh, 20 through 22, here he prays for you and for me. Starting in verse 20, he says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. What was Jesus' greatest concern here in his final hour? Here, it wasn't his own personal comfort. He wasn't focused simply on what he was about to suffer. His focus, his last prayer that we have recorded here, uh, was for our unity, for you and me to be unified. And how does he describe that unity? It says there in verse 21 that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Where is unity found? It says unity, true biblical unity, is found in Jesus and in the Father. And when we have unity in Jesus and in the Father, we will have unity like Jesus and like the Father in verse 22. Maybe the reason that we are divided is at times is because we spend so much time rallying around our own opinions and perspectives and interpretations and not enough time ensuring that we are in Jesus and in the Father. And when we have unity in God, when we are in that one body, being directed by that one spirit, submitting to that one Lord, then we can have unity like Jesus and the Father. We, we won't simply, at the end of the day, have to uh, agree to disagree. We won't have to resign to peace in the absence of unity. We can grow to have both. 
But the principle of unity is only half of the issue here. Many times division is not so much a problem of principle as it is a problem of attitude. More often than not, church splits don't simply occur because of doctrinal disagreements. They occur because of wrong attitudes and a failure to reflect the character of Christ in our dealing with other people. And so as we go back to Ephesians 4, not only can we address the division that uh, is among us by, by addressing the principles of unity, we also have to address the attitudes of peace. In verse 2, he says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. If we want to promote biblical unity, uh, it's not enough to strive to be in Christ. We must act like Christ. We must reflect his attitude and his character in our dealings with one another. That's going to involve humility. We need to recognize that we don't have everything figured out, that we don't have all of the answers, that we're still growing, that we're not sufficient on our own. We need the strengths and perspectives that others have to offer. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the concept of the church being a body. Uh, and the body uh, certainly has a unity about it, but it has many different members bringing different strengths, different abilities uh, into the church. And if you look though, over there in 1 Corinthians 12, notice the attitude that he describes we need to have to promote this unity with one another. In verse 21 he says, And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on those we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the member may have the same care for one another. Here we see the I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Uh, sometimes we get puffed up in pride. We think I have it all figured out. I, you know, my, my way is the right way. And if you don't agree with me, then, then it's your problem. Here, the attitude that Paul encourages us is to have a humility to recognize that we don't have everything figured out. That we need others. We need the perspectives and the strengths that others bring to the table. And he says there in verse 22, It is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. We can think about this in a few different ways. Think for a moment about your heart and your lungs. On their own, how strong are those things? How vulnerable are they? You know, if, if the heart is just sitting out here by itself, it's very vulnerable, very weak. But how important is your heart to your body? It is of vital importance. Your heart and your lungs are, are going to provide the, the pumping of the, the blood, the oxygen to the rest of your members. You cannot live without it. And though it may be vulnerable in some ways by itself, it is vital. 
He says there in verse 23, giving us another picture, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. There are parts of our body that we uh, recognize need to be covered by clothing. Um, that are not presentable for public view. And yet, what does that say? That says that those are bestowed with greater honor, greater importance. This is special. This isn't just for anyone. And so we recognize that when we talk about the body of Christ, when we talk about dealing with our brethren, with other Christians, um, that there may be other members that we deem to be weaker, that may, maybe they're not one that is fit for public view, that they can come up and, and preach or, or teach or, or lead a song or whatever it might be. And yet, they are vitally important. And they have strengths and abilities that, that are important to the well-being of the whole. Our, our older members may be more frail, but the wisdom that they offer is vital. Our, our younger or weaker members, our new converts, may be more immature in the faith. And yet they are the lifeblood of a congregation. And so we need not to have a prideful attitude to think that, that my soapboxes, my, my uh, perspectives, the strengths that I have to offer are sufficient within themselves. I need to have the humility to work with others, to have a humble appreciation and respect for others as we learn to deal uh, with these things together. And also there in Ephesians 4, he says we need to have an attitude of gentleness. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25 and 26, as we continue, he says that there might be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. When we have this type of care for one another, for the different members of the body, how are we going to approach potentially painful things? You know, if you have to have a tooth pulled and you're the one pulling the tooth, how are you going to approach that? Are you just going to get out the pliers and yank it out? Well, no, you, that, that's going to hurt. You're going to be as sensitive as possible because of the pain that that's going to cause. You're going to be delicate. You're going to provide the, as much of a tender touch as you can while still accomplishing what needs to happen. Well, when it comes to our brethren dealing with other people, with other believers, how are we going to approach them? If, if we have that same care for them as we would for our own body, are, are we going to you know, recklessly... Uh, address them in a way that is going to be hurtful? Well, not at all. No, they're, they're a member of that body. We want them to be part of Christ. We want to treat them with care, with gentleness, having an empathetic spirit uh, towards them. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. You know, sometimes it can be very easy to rebuke, but very difficult to restore. God desires of us not just to tell people when they're wrong, not just to wield the, the sword of truth recklessly hurting others. He desires that we reach out to others 
in gentleness, with an empathetic spirit, seeking to restore, seeking to build up, seeking their good. We need to have that humility, that gentleness, and along with that, we see here in Ephesians 4, we need to have uh, a patience and a tolerance towards one another. We talked just a moment ago about how unity is something that we are entrusted to preserve or maintain. But if you look back in Ephesians 4 with me, look down in verse 13. In verse 12 and 13, we read that we are to be building up the body of Christ, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Is unity something that we preserve or is it something we attain? Yes. Yes. Uh, There is a sense in which the unity is already there. The unity is in the fact that there's one body and one spirit and one faith and one Lord and one baptism and one God and Father overall. And yet, we're not all there yet. It's not like we've all arrived. We're still maturing. We're still growing. That's something that we are working towards. And so what does that require as we deal with one another? It requires patience. It requires uh, a tolerance or forbearance in working with each other. And in Romans chapter 14, we read about dealing with our weaker brethren. Maybe I'm the weaker brother in that case. And in two weeks, I'd like to address this passage more thoroughly, but just on a surface level. uh, In verse 1, it says we are to accept the one who is weak in the faith. Later on in verse 19, the the verse that I think is really the, the theme verse of this entire chapter, he says, so then we pursue the things that make for peace and the building up of one another. We're seeking to help each other grow. We're seeking to help the weak brother grow. And yet in the meantime, what are we doing? We're seeking to maintain peace, pursuing peace with one another. Verse, chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, Now we who are strong ought to bear with the weaknesses of those without strength, and not just to please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, for his edification. As we seek to attain to the unity that God has already perfectly designed within his body, we're going to have to bear with our weak brother. You're going to have to bear with me, and I'm going to have to bear with you. I'm going to have to have patience as we work through those things together. And that doesn't mean that we just resign to our differences, that we just resign to not being uh, unified when it comes to God's will and what God desires of us. But it means that as we work through those things, as we seek to build one another up, we pursue it in a way that maintains peace. Pursue it in a way that is respectful and caring uh, and is willing to be forbearing, uh, even as we may have differences. But finally, there in Ephesians 4, last attitude that he urges us to have, is an attitude of love. The single greatest factor in maintaining unity and peace within the body of Christ is genuine love for one another. Here in Ephesians 4 and verse 15, he says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is head, even Christ. 
Brethren, it doesn't matter if we have the truth, if we are not wielding it with love, if we are not communicating it with love. And so, certainly, it is vitally important that we be unified in the truth. But the only way we're truly going to achieve that is if we are interacting with one another in the spirit of Christ. Interacting with one another in genuine love and care for the eternal souls of each other. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 through 3, tells us that I may speak with the tongue of men or of angels... I may have the gift of prophecy or or all knowledge or have all faith to remove mountains. I may give all my possessions to feed the poor. I may give my body to be burned. Yet if I do not have love, it's useless. It's pointless. I am nothing. I am accomplishing nothing. You cannot truly be in Christ and not be living like. We, we may convince ourselves that on a doctrinal level, we, we've got everything figured out. We, we're standing in the truth. We are in Christ. But brethren, if we are not reflecting the character of Christ, then, then we are mistaken. Because we cannot be standing in the truth, in Christ, and not be standing in love. John 13, verse 34 and 35, Jesus gives his disciples a new commandment that they might love one another as he has loved them. Verse 35 says, By this all men will know you are my disciples if you have love one another. What, what are the identifying marks of God's people? Above all else, the identifying mark of being a disciple of Christ is walking in love. Reflecting his love in the way that we deal with other people. We can get everything else right, but if we get this wrong, it's all for nothing. And so as we consider the division among us, as we consider the quest for for unity that that we should strive for to honor Christ, we need both to maintain the unity of the Spirit, the inherent unity within God's Word, within a common submission to His authority, but we need to also maintain an attitude that's going to promote peace. Reflecting the character of Christ. There once uh, was a man who asked the well-known author G.K. Chesterton, what is wrong with the world today? And G.K. Chesterton simply wrote back, dear sir, I am. I think it's very easy for us when we address a topic such as this. you know, what, what's wrong with Christians today? Why is there so much division among Christians today? To, to point the finger elsewhere. And I hope that's not what we've done in this lesson. More than anything, we need to be pointing the finger internally. Am I reflecting the character of Christ? Am I standing within the truth? Am I part of the one body? Am I being led by the one spirit? Am I pressing towards the one hope, submitting to the one Lord, adhering to the one faith, having experienced the one baptism, and made part of the family under one heavenly Father? Am I reflecting a character of humility, of gentleness, of patience, forbearance, and love? Am I reflecting the character of Christ?
If you, as you look into the mirror of God's word and look into your own heart, recognize that there's some change that you need to make to better promote what was Jesus' final wish, Jesus' final prayer for unity among his brethren, um, then make that change now. Don't leave here without uh, making the change that God would desire of you, getting into a right relationship with him by his grace. If we can help you in that in any way, if we can help you commit your life to the Lord, if we can help you uh, turn back to the Lord from some way in which you have been straying, we want to do that. We here want you to know that we love you, that we care about you, that we want to help each other get to heaven. That's what it's all about. If at this time we can help you in any way, we ask that you'll let us know by, by coming to the back uh, as we sing.